Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. All right, so I started this series by talking a little bit about how we should uh, properly divide the Word of God. And so I want to kind of dig into that subject. I've been kind of teasing that out throughout this week. And, and so I want to kind of uh, I want to kind of conclude this series with that a little bit and, and talk about that. Because when I was a kid in church, I would always hear old time preachers, even as a young pastor, uh, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, I, I would always hear these great old orators of the word pastors. They would talk about rightly dividing the word of God. And when I heard them say that I thought what they were saying is that we have to interpret the word of God right I thought they were saying we need to really study the word and know what the word says but then I came to understand that we need to rightly divide the word and I've given you this as an illustration a couple of times dividing it from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I feel like I have to keep saying, I'm not saying the Old Testament is bad, okay? We're going to talk about that today. But we have to divide the two and not mix the two. I'm going to share with you today why it's dangerous if we mix the two. But we have to divide the word. Everybody say divide. Divide. Here's what it means. The word divide, it means to separate, or watch this, or be separated into parts. has to be separated into into different parts. How many know that's very important? Any pie bakers? See, I'm still getting that in there. How many know it's important, right? What parts to separate and when to add? All right, I've done all I can do. All right. So I believe that one of the most confusing things about Christianity is when we mix them. And we mix them and don't know that we mix them. And it causes us to live in this cloud or this empty shell of Christianity because the two are mixed. And what we've done is we have mixed or we've put together instead of dividing. We've, we've lived under this and tried to live under this. Usually here's what it looks like subconsciously. We know that we're saved by grace because of Jesus. Most Christians know that. But then we turn around and begin to live out of this side of the book and try to obey all the laws. Because if we, And when we don't, we feel guilty and condemned. But if we live on this side in grace, it eliminates the condemnation and the guilt, which frees us to have victory over the sin and the addictions that g- grab a hold of our lives. All right, are you with me? Thank you, Susan. Appreciate it. All right. And so the Bible, it's divided, as you know, into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Dispensation and the New Dispensation, one more time, or the Law Dispensation and the Grace Dispensation. Now, here's the danger. When we mix the two together, some preachers would say, well, we have to balance the Word of God. But what a lot of people call balance is really mixture. And Paul dealt very severely, very seriously, with a lot of exclamation points when we try to live with a mixture. Matter of fact, I did a series, you can look it up online, on the book of Galatians. We went through the entirety of the book of Galatians, and that's what Paul deals with in the church of Galatia. And matter of fact, when we mix the two and try to live with them simultaneously without dividing the two, it actually is a doctrine called 
Galatianism, of all things, because this is exactly what Paul was dealing with when he wrote the letter to the church of Galatia. They started in grace, and then religious people came in and started adding all the things they needed to do in order to be accepted in the church's membership. Ah, okay, I'm going to leave that alone. All right, and, and so they, they started having all these old laws rather than living purely in grace. And, and Paul got pretty upset about this. Matter of fact, if you read the first chapter of Galatians, he calls them. He says, you foolish, in our language it would be, you stupid church. That's what he'd be saying. And you think I'm harsh. I've never called you stupid, right? Thank you, Jesus, all right? But Paul stands up to the, he writes a letter to the church of Galatians, says, you foolish Galatians, who has betwixt you? Who has confused you? You were saved by grace. Who's allowed all this other stuff to come in? Let me contrast that real quick. He also writes a letter to the church of Corinth. So Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament, and most of the time it is two churches that he has started, and he has placed apostolic leadership over them and appointed elders and pastors. And now with a pen, he begins to write and help them know how to live. So I want to contrast the first two letters to the church of Corinth. Uh, and he writes letters to them, and he never calls them foolish. A and he never gets angry with them. But I want you to see what's going on in the church of Corinth. In the church of Corinth, if you've read it, there's some crazy stuff. How many's read that book and know there's some whacked out things going on in that church? And I mean whacked out. Whacked out meaning that they had temple prostitution. How many know that's just, they, those two things don't, he didn't watch Sesame Street. You know what I'm saying? Some of these things do not belong together. Temple prostitution, that means you could come to church and find a prostitute. That's going on in the church at Corinth. There's sons sleeping with their stepmoms. How many know that's just not right stuff? You don't even have to know the Bible to know something's whacked out about that. Am I right about it? There's jealousy, there's envy, there's misuse of spiritual gifts. There is all kind of craziness going on in the church of Corinth, but he never gets harsh with the church of Corinth. He continues to remind them how much God loves them and about God's grace for them. But when he writes the book of Galatians with an exclamation point in the first sentence, he says, you idiots, what is your problem? You're saved by grace, but you're mixing the two together. Wow. You say, wow, why would he do that? Because wrong doctrine, watch this, this is your bomb this morning, wrong doctrine is worse than wrong behavior. <clears throat> Let me say it again, because some of you are like, what? Wrong doctrine. Teaching the wrong doctrine is worse than wrong behavior. Come on now. Because wrong behavior can be covered in grace, but wrong doctrine doesn't even let us know that there is a grace. Let me say it another way. Wrong doctrine perverts God's grace, which is one reason why people don't want to be in the house of God, because they feel like they have to conjure up enough love for God rather than understanding it's not about how well you love God, it's about how well God already loved you. So wrong doctrine is worse than wrong behavior. Come on, somebody. Because if we get this right doctrine, if we understand grace, the behavior, it takes care of itself. Have you ever noticed around here, we don't preach a lot about behavior. 
We don't preach a lot of messages about you better not do this and you better do this. We don't preach those kind of messages because when you get a revelation of how much God loves you, when you get a revelation of His grace and living in His grace, there is now therefore no condemnation and right doctrine takes care of right behavior. Somebody say amen in this house. Come on now, right? Okay, so... Uh, so let me take you to an Old Testament. I'm going to contrast. I told you I'd do this. I'm going to contrast an Old Testament verse, and it's going to get reread in the New Testament, and I want to contrast the two verses and show you. I, I hope this is going to be a light bulb moment, the difference of the old and the new. And all through there, we've done that. In this series, if you're new to the series, all through this series, we've done those things. So we've talked about how in the law, the law says if, if, if you have any skin disorder, you're pushed out of the camp. But the New Testament comes and brings you into the camp as we watch Jesus touch those with leprosy. Okay? So all through the scriptures, we see if there's any discharge from your body, you're thrown out of the camp. But over here, we see Jesus touching the woman with the issue of blood. So we see the contrast between the old and the new. And so let me give you one more. Let's go to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter number 61, here's what Isaiah, he's prophesying about a coming Messiah, and his name is... Jesus, yeah. Anytime a preacher asks you a question in church, nine out of ten times the answer is Jesus, all right? You're usually pretty safe. So he's prophesying about a Messiah named Jesus. Woo, come on now, all right. So the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's talking about Jesus coming, and, and I don't have time to do this. I want to preach this verse one day because it talks about the fourfold ministries of Jesus that are coming when he shows up. So watch this. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, watch this, to proclaim the good news. They don't even know what the good news is yet because the good news is the gospel and the gospel is grace. Okay? So number one, to preach the good news, He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted. Can anybody say amen to that? Thank you for that, Lord. To proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness those prisoners. Now, hold on a minute. They have lived hundreds of years under the law so far, and prisoners have not been set free, and addictions have not been broken, and those in darkness have not come to light by following the law. But Isaiah is saying the day will come when we move from the old, come on, and we step into the new, somebody, right? And these things are going to happen to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness uh, for the prisoners to proclaim now watch this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor now I want you to see this next word this next word is so important that you see it and if we don't see it we might easily read over it so I turned it red all right to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God a lot of Christians are trying to live victorious but they're living under the vengeance of God. They're living under the judgment of God. They're living under self-condemnation because they've done something wrong. But he says there's a Messiah coming, and, and, and it's heavier on the other side, right? Okay, so this is a prophetic word about the coming Jesus. This is Old Testament. So now let's fast forward and rightly divide the word. So Jesus... He kicks off his ministry 
And what's happening in the New Testament, Jesus shows up and he begins to turn the pages from the old to the new. He goes to church one Sunday. Come on, Jesus is the guest speaker. The pastor gets up and gives him the Bible, what we now know as the Bible. He unrolls it because it wasn't like, you know, it was a scroll, all right? And he unrolls it and he begins to read from what we call the Bible this very verse that I just read to you. Does anybody know where I'm going with it? Come on, just wink at me if you know, all right? And so he does this. Jesus gets up his first day in the church preaching to the people, getting ready to move the old into the new. And watch Jesus read the very verse that Isaiah prophesied about. Check it out. Let's go to Luke chapter number 4. He says, he's reading now. Jesus is reading the Bible. Okay, Old Testament, that's all we had at the time. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everything is word for word what Isaiah said. Period. Did you catch it? Somebody over here caught it. And one other person over here caught it. Uh, pay attention to what Jesus did. The rest of the scripture says this. Watch this. Take it on. Then he rolled up the scroll. He, he closed the book, everybody. He said, to pro proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he closes the book and he sits back down. I'm not lying. Here it is. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Come on, everybody. Oh, let me break it down for you. Did you notice? He put a period where Isaiah kept on going. He did not read and the judgment. He did not read and the vengeance of the Lord. And he closed the book. He said, I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord. Now let me break this down. When he says, I'm proclaiming the acceptable or the favorable year of the Lord, that is not a year like what we know. It's not a calendar 12 months like we know. He is proclaiming a season he's proclaiming come on everybody he's proclaiming a dispensation he's proclaiming if i could he's proclaiming the new testament mm, a season of the lord's favor unmerited favor he is proclaiming grace and closing the book to the law come on now Ah, the original translation says the acceptable year of the Lord. He said, I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Watch what acceptable. Acceptable in the Greek means dektos. Let me have the definition for dektos. Dektos means the most blessed time when salvation and the free favor of God profusely abound. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. He came to tell us, come on, that we get to live in free favor now somebody ought to say amen to that we're living in dectos everybody he closed the book and he sat down notice he did not say anything about the vengeance of the lord he did not say anything about judgment now hold on that day will come 
but if we're born-again believers, we'll be out of here before that day comes. Come on. And we will stand before the Bema seat of Christ and receive our rewards because our sins are remembered no more, but the day of judgment will come. But how many are glad because of His grace we don't have to face that day? Can I get an amen in this place? Come on. We're in the year of acceptable grace. That's why, we must, uh, that's why we must rightly divide the word and stop getting the two jumbled together. Because what the world hears is how loving God is. But if you do this, he's sending you to hell. How loving God is. But if you do this, we preach this loving God and then turn around and talk about an angry God. This is not the dispensation of an angry God, everybody. This is not the dispensation of a judging, vengeful God. Come on. And if Christians, if we could get that in our mind, we would stop messing up and feeling like now we're out of favor and don't deserve to pray about anything. I guarantee you there are people today that are not in church because last night they messed up in some kind of way. They woke up this morning with condemnation and feel separated from God. They're living on the wrong side of the divide. Jesus preached grace, he closed the book, and he sat down and said, that's all, folks. Until I say other words, you are living in dectos. You are living in acceptable favor. You are free to have favor on your life. Come on, man. I know some of you are scratching your heads on that. There's only one God, I understand. And, but he relates to all of us depending on the season or the year that we're living in. People look at the Old Testament and say, man, how is he a loving God? Look at all that. He's relating to those characters in the Old Testament based on the dispensation they're living in. Jesus shows up and says, quit living in that dispensation. Come on over here and live in the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I need to say this because people, uh, they'll use my own preaching against me. I am in no way, please read my lips, get it on video. I am not saying that the Old Testament is not important. It's very important. Matter of fact, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, I don't have this verse on the screen, but you can jot it down. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 16 and 17. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is profitable. It's profitable for teaching, it's profitable for rebuke, it's profitable for instruction. How many know the Old Testament is profitable, right? We can read the stories of David killing Goliath and relate that to our own Goliath and get some principles out of that, right? Yes, everybody? Hello? Okay, all right. So that's what Paul tells Timothy. So it's still important, but right before he tells Timothy that in 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 chapter number 3, verse number 16 and 17. In verse number 15, here's what he says before he says that. Check this out. He says, study to show yourself approved. Christians, stop a minute. You have to study to make sure you're living on the right side of the divide. If studying the Bible is new to you, I would implore upon you, do not start a study of the Old Testament. Dive into the New Testament and find out how much He loves you, how much your, His grace is on you, the price that He paid for you to have grace, and how much you're living in righteousness. Come on now. And so he tells Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of truth. 
Come on, do you hear that? I love the symbolism of what happens. So Jesus gets up, all the teachers of the law, all the Old Testament professionals are there, and Jesus gets up and he begins to read Isaiah. He reads it, he gets to the acceptable year of the Lord. Can you see some just mean Christians contextualized? Can you just see some church folks who went, oh, now here comes the part where he's going to drop the bomb. He's going to talk about God's vengeance and how bad all of the mask wearers are, you know. And he closes the book, and he hands the Bible back to the pastor, and he sits down. Could you see the religious people going, oh, wait, we didn't get to our favorite part. Because, you know, religious people like the vengeance part. They like the mean stuff. They like the thunderbolts finding your shorts, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? They, they like all that. God's going to destroy the world. They like to pick it, and they like to tell what God is against. And he closes the book, and then watch what he does. He sits down. Now, you might just read this and think this is just a simple little, okay, he sat down. But there's a statement in his sitting down. He sat down. After he read what he read, he sat down. This is very important. Let me take you to some scripture to show you why. Hebrews chapter number 10. Watch this. First of all, before I read this, remember last week I talked to you about the Old Testament priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer the blood sacrifice, right? If you've been here for any prayer nights, I've talked to you about all the different pieces of furniture that are symbolic in the tabernacle. And so the Old Testament priest is continually busy. The Old Testament priest, there is nowhere in the tabernacle for him to sit down because he was constantly burning sacrifice. He was constantly offering up uh, incense unto the Lord. There was no place of rest in the Old Testament tabernacle. But Jesus shows up, reads the scripture, closes the book, and he sits down. Watch Hebrews now. But when this priest had offered, this priest being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for his sins, what did he do? He sat down. Mm. Where did he sit? This is important. At the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. I am just trying so hard to get you there. Perfect for, when I read that, I jumped up off my recliner and I shouted, hallelujah, perfect forever. Not perfect until you commit your next sin. Not perfect until you drive the way you drive on I-5. Not perfect until you yell at your husband. Not perfect until you throw the dishes. Not perfect until you kick the dog. Perfect forever. Perfect forever. The reason he sat down and he's saying, it is finished, I'm done, you're perfect forever. I don't have to get back up. I don't have to offer another sacrifice. I don't have to go through all that again. You are perfect forever. May, friends, that's what grace does. It makes us perfect forever. Law made you perfect for about 30 seconds until you thought something wrong, right? But, but grace makes us perfect forever. Forever. Did you get that? Let me do it one more time. Forever! Right? <laughs> At the right hand of God. And since that time he awaits his enemies, for by one sacrifice, perfect forever, those who are being made holy. He sat down because we're perfect forever. You are perfect in the sight of God. 
Not because of your thoughts, not because of your addictions, not because of your mess-ups. You are perfect forever because, remember last week, you are in Christ Jesus. You are under His grace. This is the year, of the acceptable year, the acceptable season of grace in the Lord. That ought to fire somebody up. Come on now. So under the Old Testament, every priest was constantly ministering all day, all the time in the the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus, remember Revelations 5 last week? He offers the blood sacrifice. He sits down at the right hand of the Father, and he says it is finished. Now, if you're not fired up yet, this part's going to get you. Because not only does he sit down, he invites you to stop working and for you to sit down also. He's telling somebody this today. Stop stressing. Stop being anxious. Stop laying awake at night with the devil's accusations. Quit living under shame. Quit living under condemnation and come sit down with me. I sacrificed. You didn't have to do that. But now I sit down and I want you to sit down with me. Watch this. Watch this. Okay. Let me make sure you know this is in the Bible. Ephesians chapter number, do I have Ephesians? I think I have Ephesians. I better have Ephesians. All right, there it is. All right. (laughs) But because of his great love, hey, everybody, because of his great love, I want somebody to walk out of here today with a fresh revelation of how madly in love God is with you. How madly his love is bigger than your mistake. If I could just get that life-giving message to people, God's love, his grace is bigger than your failures, therefore there is no condemnation. Watch this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. One translation, the better wording here is alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, So watch this, because of his great love, we're alive in Christ even when we mess up, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ, what, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He seated us in Jesus. Who's Jesus? Jesus is grace. He sat you down. Watch. He came and he sacrificed one time. He read the book. He sacrificed his life and then he sat down. Oh, I love it. You didn't have to sacrifice. I didn't have to sacrifice. But he invites us today to get out of the old and get in the new and come sit down beside him in grace in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, the reason this is important is because sitting, watch this, Sitting is resting, right? Come on now. I hope you got, you're, you're seated, you're rested. I'm up here working. I don't know why I wore a wool coat to church today. I am dying. If you need to lose 10 pounds, come mimic me up here. Come on now, right? Sitting is resting. Watch this. It's resting. It's not struggling. It's not stressing. <sighs> It's not working. It's not laying awake at night. It's not accusing others that they need to do more. 
that they need to read more, that they need to pray more, that they need to worship more, that they need to, that, that's working. Anytime somebody puts work like that on you, that is not the message of grace. That's one of the reasons. I'm not throwing stones at any other church, but for my convictions, that's one of the reasons we don't do church membership because I don't want it to make it easy for you to come to Christ, but you better look like, talk like, act like Simon says church in order to be a part of our club. Come on, that's not resting. That's working. And I think one of the biggest problems that Christians face is that when we mess up, tell me if you've ever done this. Not that you do it now, but a long time ago, in your distant memory, you can vaguely even remember. But let me see your hands if you can relate, that when we mess up, we get into condemnation, and then we feel separated. Remember Peter the first week? I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what's comfortable. And so we get under this thing, condemnation. And tell me this ain't true. When we mess up and we feel law, condemnation, here's what we do. Before we repent again, we say, well, I've already messed up. I might as well just go all in. How many know somebody like that? I mean, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, man, I thought a thought I shouldn't think, so now I'm going to click this thing and spend half of my day looking at things I shouldn't look at. And then, then I'll get back under grace. That's living under the law. That feeling comes from living on the wrong side of the divide. Okay, let me show you this one more time, another way. Are you getting anything out of this? Okay, let me show it to you in the New Testament by the action. It, where you live, whether you live on the, the, the Old Testament or the New Testament, it shows up in your actions. How many believe that? How many have ever met a Christian, a Christ follower, and you can tell within about 30 seconds what side of the Bible they're living in, right? I mean, they look mean, they act mean, they are mean, they drink lemons, they eat pickles, that's their constant diet. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like the religious mafia. You know what I'm saying? I will kill you if you, you know, that kind of person. All right, so, all right, so let me give you two stories that demonstrate how What's happening on the inward, depending on where we live, is shows up on the outward. Take you to two scripture. I'm just going to hit them, and I'm going to challenge that I, I, I will trust that you will read them on your own. So one is in Luke chapter number 18, and one is in Luke chapter 19. Many of you will know these stories. So in Luke chapter number 18, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. How many have ever heard of him, the rich young ruler? So he comes to Jesus. And uh, now here's here's my interpretation of the scripture, but I believe I'm on solid ground. I think the rich young ruler came with religious pride. He comes to Jesus, and notice the question. You can read this later. I'm not going to turn to the scriptures. He comes to Jesus, and notice the first thing he says. He says, what must I do? There's your clue. What must I do? to inherit eternal life. Now, let's give them credit. Jesus had just showed up. They're not really totally in the grace dispensation yet. So he's a good Jewish boy, and he comes and says, look at me, man. I've kept all the Ten Commandments, so what must I do to inherit what you're talking about, eternal life? So Jesus is unfolding grace. And Jesus said, see, he thinks he's justified by his works because he's kept the law. He's lived in the Old Testament. He's kept all Ten Commandments. And, and, and Jesus says, keep all the laws of God. And then he has the audacity in the face of Jesus to say, I've kept them all. Woo! I mean, I have kept all of the laws. You know you've met that guy in modern times. 
Like, my breath doesn't stink. You know what I'm talking I mean, I am just the man. And that's what he's doing. I've kept all the laws. I haven't broken one of the Ten Commandments. So if you're going to live by the law, watch this, you're going to die by the law. And he's trying to live by the law in the face of grace. So Jesus says, hmm, how many know you can't mess with Jesus? So Jesus says, oh, you want to live by the law, huh? Okay, then let's live by the law. And here's what he says to him. Thou shall he says to him, go sell everything you own. Give the money not to me. Give the money to the poor. Then come back and follow me. That sounds like the harshest story in all Scripture. Like, what in the world, man? What did he ask this guy to do? Wait a minute. Jesus didn't put that on him. He put it on himself. He said, I haven't broken one of the laws. What's the first law? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, really? Then go sell everything you own. Give the money to the poor. Then come follow me. And he couldn't do it. And he left dejected. He didn't become a follower of Jesus. He kept all his money. Why? Because his money was his God. He was living on the wrong side of the divide. Are you guys getting that? Okay, now let me contrast that to another guy. I love this guy. Luke chapter number 19. There's this cool dude. He's a short guy, okay? So there's just good biblical grounds for anybody that's short. So here is a great dude. His name is Zacchaeus. Anybody ever heard of Zacchaeus? Come on, Bonnie, you know where I'm going with it. If you grew up in children's church, you sang songs about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Come on, anybody know? He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Man, you guys got to get more churchy. All right, so Jesus is in the house, and Zacchaeus is short. He's like, I can't see the plane, the plane. You know, he can't see, right? And, and so the Bible says, I don't know, that came out of the 80s, all right? So some of you won't get that reference. All right, be quiet. I'm trying to preach up here, all right? So watch this. So watch this. He climbs up in a tree. Because he's hungry for Jesus. He rolls out of bed and comes to church in a tree because he's hungry for Jesus. He's hungry about this new message that he's preaching. And Jesus comes up and says, Zacchaeus, check. And he's a tax collector. And people don't like tax collectors. Everybody hates tax collectors. The Romans hate tax collectors. The Jewish people hate tax collectors. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come on, man. I'm going to go to lunch at your house. This is a great story. I wish I had time to preach it. But they have this lunch meeting without one word being said. Read the story on your own. At the end of the lunch, Zacchaeus stands up. Now, he has cheated people, all right, without one worse but one lunch grace encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus gets up and he says, Jesus, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor and I'm going to pay back everyone I have ever cheated. Jesus never told him to do that. Jesus never commanded to do that. But he had an encounter with grace. He's living on the grace side and the rich young ruler was living on the law side. Come on, everybody. Let me say it this way. The law demands, the law demands, rich young ruler, the law demands, and here's the results of law. The law will give you fear, guilt, sorrow. Can you imagine that guy the rest of his life? Man, I could have been out there with Jesus. Fear, guilt, sorrow. That's what, that's what the law does, but grace supplies. Watch this. You'll see it in Luke 18 and Luke 19. The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Grace supplies. What does grace do in our life? It doesn't make us stingy. It makes us generous. 
It produces generosity in our. Can I tell you something? Here's a little, quick little philosophy of your pastors. That's why we don't get up here and beg for offerings. Because if I preach grace and God has your heart, I don't have to demand that you give to the church or you can't be a member. Otherwise, you're given and you're not really happy about it. But if God has your heart and you understand the price he paid for grace and we are in grace, nobody has to ask you to do anything out of the generosity of your own heart because of what he has done. Come on, Zacchaeus said, Jesus didn't say one thing to him, but he said, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. That's what grace does to you. Come on. That's why when we come to Legacy Weekend, all I do is say, come on. All I do is just say, look, you guys pray about it. And if grace is being preached and life-giving is being preached, we've moved you from the law into grace, God will speak to you about what he wants you to do because grace makes us generous people. Can I get an amen on that, everybody? I'll, I'll say it one more way. If God has your heart, he already has your money. Right, everybody? Okay, I'll leave that alone. Now, friends, here's what I want to do. Uh, let me close this series up. I hope you are getting the revelation of how much God loves you. I preached on the tabernacle uh, or the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant last week, which is very Old Testament. And a guy came up to me that's been in his church his whole life. I asked for permission to share this. He says, never in my history of being in church have I ever heard a more life-giving message. I've been in church my whole life. He's almost 50 years old. Been in church his whole life. Never have I heard preaching about the Ark of the Covenant. Never in my life have I heard a more life-giving giving message if you're not giving a revelation i hope you are my whole intent is to help you get a revelation how much god loves you he loves you can i tell you why i preach this so much because it's my biggest struggle it's my biggest struggle i have a real hard time on a daily just having a subconscious knowledge of god's love every day of my life just about I get up and I do devotions. And the reason I do it is not because I'm spiritual. The reason I do it is to sit down and remind myself. I am the favored son of God because of Jesus Christ. He loves me and he is pleased with me. And I'm living under divine grace. I didn't grow up that way. And because of the way I grew up, um, that's one of my struggles. I'm just being transparent with you. And so maybe that's why I preach this so much. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. Thanks for coming and watching me pick on me. All right, everybody? Now, I open, this, I, I, I open this message with an omitted sentence or an omitted word from Isaiah to Luke. So let me close with another omitted word. All right? So many of you have heard me tell the story when I went to counseling. The counselor put the book down. Jesus was being baptized. In Matthew 3, in fact, here's what it says, Matthew chapter number 3. And a voice from heaven said, Jesus is getting baptized, and the heavens opened up, the dove, the Holy Spirit came. And, the and, and watch this real careful. Notice this is Matthew 3, I'm going to close with Matthew 4, where the devil tries to quote this verse. How many know the devil will try to quote verses on you? But he always leaves a word or two out. It even happened to Jesus, so check this out. That's why you got to be careful where you go to church and where you get your spiritual teaching from. All right, watch this. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. Everybody say, I love. And I am well pleased. Say, well pleased. Okay, so even Jesus needed. 
the assurance of God loves me and he's pleased with me. And I want you to notice something. This is before Jesus has done anything. He hasn't even started his ministry, but God was pleased with him. Thus, God is pleased with you despite what you do or you don't do. Okay? Okay. Now, take me over to Matthew chapter number 4 because I've got to close up. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. I'm just going to skim this again. Then Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? I won't get into all that. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think? All right? Okay. The tempter came to him. The tempter, the accuser, the devil came to him and said, Watch this. If. Isn't that just like the devil? To try to put doubt. And some of us doubt all the time. Does God really love me? I know God so loved the world. I know he loves the world. But if he really loved you, he would have answered that prayer. If he really loved you, he would have given you that promotion. If he really loved. And we have all these little doubts. If he really loves That's what he does. He's not doing anything different with us than he did with Jesus. If, if, watch this, if you are the Son of God, if you're under grace, if you're in the acceptable year of the Lord, if, come on, you know that's true, if you are the Son of God, watch what he omits. Tell these stones to become, he omits the whole thing. If God is pleased with you, and if God loves you, he omits that whole thing and just starts right off with doubt. If you really are the Son of God, and if he really does love he leaves that out. Watch, watch what he tells him to do. I know you guys know this, but I want you to check it out. He says this, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Remember what I told you, whenever you see stone in the Scripture, it's symbolic of the law. Tell this law to become nourishment. <sighs> In other words, the devil wanted Jesus to get nourishment from the law rather than grace. Oh, I wish I had time. I messed with you, didn't I? All right. But Jesus answered. What he said right here is the key to living in grace. Watch this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What he's referring to is the stone. He wanted him to turn the stone into bread. But man shall not live by bread alone. But watch this. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, let me break this down because I just gave you a truckload of information. First of all, he's always trying to create doubt in our minds. Raise your hand if that's true. Does the devil try to create doubt? Oh, I don't know if God cares. I don't know if God loves. I don't know if God... Okay, so that's what he's doing. Um, and, and so what happens is the law, first of all, always omits love. When you live on this side, it always omits love. On this side, Jesus or God did something about his love. All right? Okay. So he first of all, he commands the stone. He says, I want you to command the stones to become bread. All he's saying there, what's going on there, is he wants Jesus to get nourishment from the law. But how many of you are glad that Jesus refused that temptation? Otherwise, we would have stayed under the law. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. We're not going to get our nourishment from the law. We're going into a new dispensation. And here's what he says. Check this out. But man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Ken, why is that so significant? Well, uh, what, what, what that word right there, let me go back. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. The word, word here means rhema word. In the original Greek, it means rhema. Every, we shall live by every rhema word that comes out of the mouth of God. 
Hold on, you're going to shout hallelujah in just a minute, all right? The word rhema, it means right now word. It's the best way I can describe it from the Greek translation. So I know what I said 10 years ago, but I'm talking about what I'm saying right now. Jesus is saying, we shall not live by the law, but we're going to live by every rhema word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me translate. We're going to live by every right now word that comes out of the mouth of God. Hold on. What was the right now word? Just one, a few sentences earlier, God, rhema word, right now word said, this is my son who I love and I am well pleased. That's what I'm living on. Not the stones turned into my nourishment, but by the rhema word that says, God loves me and he's pleased with me and that's what we shall live by. Come on. Come on. 